Hello and welcome to Audio Mission for April 2014. I'm Trevor Smith with more interviews with CMS people at the front line of mission around the world. First this month, we meet CMS mission partners Amy and David Roach. After seven years spent planting a church in France, they've sensed God calling them through CMS to work in Lebanon. They'll assist the local church in mission and the response to the massive influx of Syrian refugees. When they visited CMS recently, they told Audio Mission about the scale of the refugee crisis and the church's response. There are about a million refugees in Lebanon at the moment. That's like a quarter of the population. What would it look like if 18 million people turned up in the UK in the last year? Literally, all they have is the clothes on their back. Um, they've lost members of their family because of the war. They have mental health issues. They have social issues. They need somewhere to live. They need to put their kids in school. They're used going to the doctor, the hospitals, all of those situations. It's kind of causing, uh, obviously, a big issue in, in Lebanon with how they cope with that, with the huge influx. So I guess I'd say to people in the UK, is how would, how, how would we feel and how would it look in the UK if 16 million people, a quarter of our population, turned up on our doorstep in need of, of, of help? In the midst of the humanitarian crisis with the Syrian refugees coming over in, into Lebanon, there's been a real interest in people asking questions about Christ Basically, um, what they found is that there are large numbers of Muslims who are coming to faith in Christ, who are turning up at church, who are kind of open, more open than they've ever been. And it's an interesting situation where you have Syrian churches and Lebanese churches who are interacting with the Muslim community in a way that they haven't done before. And not only are the Muslims open because they are in need of, of humanitarian aid, but also the churches themselves are open and it's going beyond this uh, working with people with other faiths um, it's not just theory and theology but it's, a, it's kind of a place of practice and I think that's what we're looking forward to with our work in Lebanon it's how we can interact with people from other faiths and just encourage them and talk about Christ talk about how God has affected our lives and the goodness of Jesus and the gospel so there is this issue with Syrian churches I think traditionally have seen themselves as a spiritual entity in the community but not necessarily kind of practically outworking that so we've been asked to work come alongside some Syrian church leaders and Lebanese church leaders to talk about and do some training it's very much in line with our work that we've done in France and also our, our the masters that we've recently been studying with how how can we practically outwork the gospel in community above and beyond just who we are as Christians you know, it's kind of the mission of God, what he wants to do, and encouraging them to do that. And I know it sounds a bit kind of fluffy maybe, but it, it, it does have a practical work working. So someone's just given us some blankets to take. Um, two ladies from St Mary's Church in Whitney have given us some blankets to take to Lebanon. Um, we'll go and take those. And each blanket, I think, is knitted by... It's like a patchwork, isn't it? About yeah. 20 people. Yeah, lots so of different people contributed. that's the practical outworking. It's very gold in Lebanon. As Dave was saying, for a lot of the church leaders, their understanding so far of what it means to be church is a very spiritual thing, which of course it is. But to kind of like share the vision of, of how can church also be the thing which meets people's needs on, on all levels. So there might be resources within some of the refugee churches. There might be um, people who have got um, gifts of being able to teach children, this kind of thing. And, and how can we 
release resources that are available, even if they're limited, to enable the, the, the church to meet different needs on different levels? I mean, th- there are great needs for mission and evangelism and discipleship. Recently, we were given um, an email from a local church leader from Syria that's in Lebanon, and uh, I've co- copied and pasted it there if you want to read okay, it. Okay, so the reputation of the evangelical church was really not good prior to the war. There was a lot of negative talk about us. Not long ago, several churches were, were closed. However, today, the genuine and practical care that the people are seeing in our ministry is transforming their view of us as Christians. Those who did not want to have anything to do with us before now trust us. We have close personal relationships with them. We know their hearts and pains. They share with us what they don't share with anyone else. They know that we're genuinely concerned and believe that we do what we can to help. Many of the families are now coming to church on a regular basis. Many gave their lives to Christ. We repeatedly hear we had a wrong idea about Christianity. Biblically and spiritually for Amy and I our journey to Lebanon is one where kind of in the midst of the chaos and sadness that there is amongst the Syrian refugees there is a reality that we're hearing of God's kingdom of meeting people in their brokenness Um, and it reminds us of a verse from 2 Corinthians uh, 2 Corinthians 6 where where God says in the time of my favour I heard you and in the day of salvation I helped you I will tell you now is the time of God's favour now is the day of salvation And Amy and I, we're ready to go and play our part to do what we can to serve and make that verse come to life. So, I mean, there's lots more we could say. I'm asking people to pray for us, for protection, for our family. We have five children. We've got three younger ones and two older ones who won't be coming with us there at university. But we, you know, we'd appreciate people's prayer and support. We've still got lots of practical outworkings to undertake, haven't we, financially, um, etc.? So we've still got a bit to go, but we, uh, yeah, we're looking forward to the challenge. Amy and David Broach were talking to Naomi Steinberg. Please pray that Amy and David will find the resources and support they need for this next important stage in their mission journey. In a few minutes, we'll meet some mission partners at the other end of their journey, right in the middle of the daunting transition back to living and working in the UK. But first, we head to northern Argentina to hear from David and Shelley Stokes, who are accompanying indigenous witchy churches, particularly through leadership training and empowering women. Jeremy Woodham asked them about the people they work with. The witchy people and other people grouped in the area are living through a time of of massive change. To help us kind of understand that, I wonder, David, uh, could I ask you about what life is like for the men? and the the fathers in witchy uh, towns and villages? There are some more remote communities that are living a little bit closer to the sort of hunter-gatherer style of life that they used to live. And there a father would be very much discipling his son, teaching him how to fish, uh, what to do, what not to do, hunting game in the forest. And so it was It was a very close bond, really, between father and, and son or sons. If they now move to live on the edge of a town, there's no outlet for, for hunting and fishing. And so it's looking for odd jobs. Uh, it's a very different role for the father. So teaching the son is largely taken over, sad to say, by going to school by what they see modelled in the wider town community. 
So it's put a lot of pressure on father-son relationship, having transplanted themselves to living on the edge of a town. So that's a real challenge for them. And is that kind of migration widespread? And what are the reasons for that? It's really quite widespread. Better health, better education available in the towns or on the edge of the towns, a possibility of picking up odd jobs from the sort of Criollo or the, the, the other the, the Argentine settlers living there. So there are economic advantages, but of course the downside is you have to pay for pretty much every, everything in the town as well. So you know, the, the electric bill doesn't exist in, in the country because you don't have electric. So there are lots of, there are lots of extra sort of additional costs. So it, it seems like a good financial move, but there are downsides as well. We've heard a lot about... Um issues of land rights and about deforestation um is that that's all part of the package i think that's that's one motivating factor for people to leave the area and and, and go to live on the edge of a town where that's they don't even pretend that they're following the old way of life yeah they move move on to a different way of thinking and, and working and how does this sort of social change play out for the women for the women in, in their original communities, it was quite different. They had set roles and, and jobs, gathering firewood. In the towns, the, the relationship between parents and children is very different. There's a huge amount of early teenage pregnancy. This is the norm rather than the exception. But the parents, grandparents, or the mother and the grandparents will, will take care of the children. Uh, so so the, the mother is not rejected if she gets pregnant. But a large number of children grow up with no sense of a father. Mm, this is, a, this is a, a huge problem. On the plus side, the Wichi way of caring for very small children is to carry them on a, in a sling so that they are on their fr- lying in it at first and then sitting in it. So they are with the mother at all times. They are breastfed on demand anywhere this is totally socially acceptable i've seen people being confirmed while the while the child latched on <laughs> there's there's no problem over that and this is wonderful for small children they grow up with that security of being with a mother as they get older then it is more difficult because it's not clear who is bringing up these children what are the sort of two or three big things the church is trying to take a lead on there are meetings in various communities just encouraging people to think through the issues on parenting. On parenting. Mm. There is a Mother's Union parenting course where 16 people, that was, it was four Tobas, nine Wichi, and three other Argentines were trained to lead parenting groups. Now, a few of those are taking off, but it's, it's, it's a big jump from having something brand new taught to actually putting it into practice. So their whole experience of education is... is pretty much lecture from the front. So something more active with activities that teach things and more involvement, more fun. This is quite new and hard for them to lead at this point. But working on that, there are women's conferences twice a year that used to be mainly lecture from the front, but now there's a lot more drama, activities, and there's a huge response to that. Women pour in from from lots of different communities, love to gather together, to be together. And I, I think it makes them feel that they matter as well. That's the main appeal, I think, of the church, is that, is that 
they are not useless and worthless and but but they, they matter to God and they are part of a worldwide church and that's very important to them. I think one of the other main issues is is leadership training. One of the challenges is is the community themselves selecting appropriate people for training for 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 leadership. But then some will have very little academic education, some will be almost to university level. So trying to have a, a generalised education for this very mixed group of uh, 50 or 60 have been coming uh, for sort of a two-week training session uh, for the last 10 years or so, but trying to, to get the appropriate training for, for new leaders, bearing in mind there's so much change in, in society and so much change in the church itself. So giving adequate training... It's always going to be a drop in the bucket what is what is it provided, but that's that's one of the key things, and equipping them to to think through some of the challenges of what what the church will look like in five, ten years time, so that they're, they're trained to be able to think through some of the challenges they're going to face or that they are already facing. And what do you personally find most satisfying about about your work there? It is a huge privilege. Sometimes just to be seated with a group of women, sharing mate from the same mate pot, talking about things, being together, whether talking about their issues, there's a lot of sort of non-verbal connection going on there, which I think is very important. I think from my point of view, the thing that I really enjoy, it's the challenge of of, of trying to understand Weechi, not just the language, but the way of thinking, and I think really enjoy the trips out to the communities where you never know what you're going to find, never know what you're going to be asked to do really either. Uh, and it's, it's just a, it's a privilege to, to accompany the, the churches or the communities in this, this stage of ma- massive, massive, massive change, knowing very well that we haven't got the answers really, but uh, God has somewhere uh, if there's enough uh, people sitting down and talking and praying through things together. Pray for David and Shelley as they play their part in the Weechi Church's discerning their future. Returning from mission service in another country, especially after a significant period of time, can be a very disorienting experience. Anita and Colin Smith have spent 15 years living and working in Nairobi, Kenya, and they told Jeremy Woodham recently about the questions they were facing as they tried to reintegrate into UK life. We've been back in the UK since middle of February and it's now early, uh, beginning of March. So it's still very early days. I think at the moment slightly dazed. Um, since we've moved back to the UK, we've actually moved into uh, a new area, a new home, and sort of creating a home again, bringing together our Kenya world and our world before we were in Kenya. Um, so unpacking so many boxes, some of which have many memories in them. I think at the moment it, it's just decision making, just so many things we've got to decide about and that's kind of leaves me a bit dazed really, whether it's what bread are we going to buy to uh, what phone line are we going to have in the house. So there's just masses and masses of decisions and uh, quite difficult. So lots of practical things like that, that coming from 15 years in Nairobi, what are the things flying around your head as you try and make these decisions? Well, I think the deeper issues behind it all are about questions of lifestyle and what's the appropriate lifestyle? You know, how do we live out our discipleship here in terms of lifestyle? And so if 
we've got a setup at home, it means we've got to go out and buy certain things and make certain decisions. Um, and you're you're seeing all these things around you, and you're remembering where you've been and where you've come from, and trying to discern, okay, what's what's the right decision to make in this? And that's been a struggle for us. I think we've there's kind of decisions that we've we've put off till we've resolved them between us. We have a joke about a dishwasher and whether we'll ever have one or not, but it's. It's kind of, you don't want to get sucked into this whole consumerist kind of way of thinking. And so you're trying to work out where do we, it's not quite where do we draw the lines, but where are the lines of resistance in some ways to that drawing on our experience uh, from Kenya? Um, and what's, what are kind of sensible decisions to make? So uh, two and a half weeks in, three weeks in, we're, we're struggling with that one. So answers on the postcard, please. This is interesting to me because it's yeah. the practical ways of living out our faith mm. um, in all aspects of life, yeah. and and we want to bring some global perspective to how we do that here in the UK. And lots of us who live here all the time might not be thinking about these things. So I'm I'm interested in sort of mm. getting a bit deeper. What tools are there? What I mean, what resources have you got to help? make those decisions I think you're holding in your mind other people's homes, other people's lives, who are your brothers and sisters in Christ in another part of the world, so you could even have them mentally kind of walk into your home with you or walk into a shop with you and then begin to wonder if they were standing next to you, how would that affect your decision making so it, it, it's easy to move to another world and shut out that one and start making decisions on the basis of the values and lifestyles of people around you here. But if you can somehow hold on to those people, those relationships, those perceptions uh, from that experience of living in another part of the world that isn't economically as, as kind of richly, so much wealth of choice and availability and a very different kind of lifestyle... If you can make those decisions with those people still in your head, in your imagination, standing with you, I think that challenges some of your, your thinking. That's what I'm trying to do anyway. Colin, in South Africa you were working on a book mm. about divided cities. Yep. I've been looking at, you know, there's the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, and this, it seems to me a kind of a, a parable of our age, really, and a parable of a global world where these two characters are divided economically uh, they're divided spatially you know one is at the table eating uh, feasting and the other one is impoverished at the gate so they're kind of spatially divided and they're relationally divided they never speak to each other and this this whole division turns out to have eternal consequences as the parable goes on and it seems to be a picture of, certainly from my experience of Nairobi, of again, of a, a city that has profound divisions. Just seen actually on the BBC now, there's a thing on London and Mind the Gap and the sort of gaps that exist also in the UK. Um, so I was looking at that and looking at Luke's gospel and beginning to think through the way Luke presents us in his own day of, of a world that's divided, but the way that Jesus meets those divisions, not only crosses them, but actually transforms them, uh, recreates something different. And trying to think how Christian mission uh, is about that kind of process. 
The book isn't quite finished yet. There's a last chapter to do, but that's what I've been working on. Pray for Anita and Colin as they readjust, especially for Anita's new role in parish ministry and Colin's new role as Dean of Mission Education at CMS. And finally this month, our reflection comes from Joe Hazelton, CMS Regional Personnel Officer for South America. This audio mission focuses on transitions and migration, with David and Amy Roach speaking about thousands of refugees arriving in Lebanon from Syria. David and Shelley Stokes sharing some of their experiences of the issues raised for the Wichi due to their economic and environmental migration within northern Argentina, as well as the questions which arise for Colin and Anita Smith through their repatriation back to their original country and culture of the UK after many years away in Kenya. Last September, a very eloquent and moving prayer was posted on a blog called the Jesuit Post, written by Tony Homsey, a Syrian Jesuit. Tony writes to Jesus, I know Syria is not strange for you because you spent most of your life so close by. I know you know the colour of our land, that you met Paul near our capital, Damascus. What you experienced 2,000 years ago, it was very similar to what I am living right now. I too was born under a dictatorship. Like so many Syrians, I too have dreamed about the day of freedom. Do you still remember when you were born under Herod? Let me see this current situation as you saw yours. Grant me the gift to see in it not only tyranny, but also a call, like yours, like the one you felt, that encourages me to change this world. So many of my friends have left Syria, some before, some after this crisis. Why did you come back to Jerusalem? Hadn't you noticed the success you had in Galilee and the Decapolis? Hadn't you felt the happiness of sitting and eating with friends and strangers? Why did you leave that to go to Jerusalem when you knew what lay before you? Was it because you too learned to love Jerusalem only after you left? Today I ask you to grant us your gift of fidelity so that we too may wish to return home to love Syria again. Every time people move, whether it is the forced mass movement of the Syrian refugees within the violence of war, or driven by political or environmental circumstances such as the rural-urban migration of the northern Argentinian Wichi, or whether it is the individual choice due to God's leading in our lives as it is for the Smiths, there is always something new, but also something lost. However, as Christians, we can be sure that God is with us wherever we go and that he understands what we experience, whether in times of war or peace, comfort or discomfort, joy or pain. This assurance is reflected in many passages of the Bible, but I would like to finish with Psalm 139, where we read in verses 8 to 12 that God is always with us and that we cannot escape his presence. If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, 
Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Amen. Joe Hazelton bringing this edition of Audio Mission to a close. Thank you for listening and thank you for your prayers.